Welcome to the Orchard Hill Church Podcast. Man, we're just, it's just been an amazing time as we're going through Colossians 4 together in our Open Door series. Hopefully this has been really good for you. Today we are talking about really what it means for us to trust God to do His part as an evangelist, but also what it means for us to do our part. It's a fun conversation. It sparked a lot of amazing feedback, and man, we're just praying for you that um, this will speak to you right where you are, and hopefully uh, you'll be able to make the most of the opportunities you have where God has put you this week. If you have questions about our church, our ministries, or anything else happening, you can go to ohohio.com and find out more about Orchard Hill and what God is doing in and through our community of faith. For now, we pray you enjoy this sermon on Open Doors. Today, we'll continue in Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. I'm also going to read a passage from the Gospel of John, chapter 2. So in Colossians 4, Paul wrote, Devote yourselves to prayer and be watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And from the Gospel of John. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip out some and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The word of God. So before we get going, I want to dismiss our fourth and fifth graders to go to class. Uh, It's always an exciting time. So you can follow Patty as she leads the parade back to that class. Uh, It's going to be really, really great. And uh, thank you all. Um, for being with us here today at Orchard Hill. It's amazing to, uh, to get to celebrate what God's doing. Oh, man, we got a whole array of things. This is awesome. This is like, this is a good sign, by the way. Um, I, we'll get there today, but like, I love being in a church where like kids crawl under the pews and eat too many communion wafers. <laughs> And like all of the, pro- like you, there's the kind of problems you have to have if you're doing kingdom work 
Those are the problems we pray for. There's a lot of problems we don't want, and we pray those away. <laughs> but, man, it's amazing to have the life um, that our students and our kids are bringing to our church. It's just, I hope that's encouraging to you. And that we're seeing people pass through the waters here regularly. It's so exciting. God is doing so much in our community and so much among our people uh, that it's, it's worth celebrating. And even as we've been in this series, uh, as we've been talking about open doors, that idea uh, from Colossians 4 that God opens doors, he makes, creates opportunities for us to be witnesses in the world. What's been encouraging to me is not only, and I think I said this last week, every person who's wired like an evangelist in our church has just been like, it's like throwing red meat. <laughs> you know, they're just like, this is amazing. Um, but what's been more incredible is the stories that have been popping up during the week from people. I wanna share some stories. I'm not gonna disclose names uh, because I didn't ask them if I could do so, but just some cool testimonies that have been coming out of this series so far. Uh, one guy, he was at work at his desk and he said, Somebody came to mind, which this is the way the Holy Spirit sometimes works, is like you'll just have a thought and you don't know where it comes from. You don't know if it's Jesus or the lasagna that you ate last night, but you have to like kind of test these things. So he said he was sitting at his desk and there was a coworker that came to mind that didn't really know. And so he said, my prayer, I just prayed, prayed for that person and said, God, if this is you, open a door so that I can have an opportunity and like whatever door you open, uh, we'll go through it. And he said, that person just showed up, like never crosses his path and just showed up in his office. And it entered into an opportunity for him to be a witness there. Another person in our community, she was in her yard doing yard work. And then she noticed a neighbor across the street coming out of their house that she hadn't connected with in a while. And she said, it was like the Holy Spirit was just like, you need to go, you need to go talk to them. And she said, initially, I was like, well, I'm, I'm doing yard work. I'm not in this place to go make home visits right now, you know? But she sensed the Holy Spirit was in it and she put down what she was doing and she crossed the street and God opened an opportunity for her to build relationship, to support and encourage and be a witness there. Another guy in our church said he was at work and there was a guy uh, who pulled up the truck to the loading dock. He's probably done that a hundred times and he just felt he was just like, I don't know. I just felt like I needed to go start a conversation with him. He sensed that there might be an opportunity. So he went and he started having this conversation. And this was a person who was far away, had really wants nothing to do with God, had bad experiences in church when he was young. And he got to be a witness in that opportunity. Three stories that have just like kind of come up this week where it's, it's, it seems like the more we are watchful, like Paul says in the beginning of that passage, he says, be watchful and thankful. When we are paying attention God's spirit is always at work doing things ahead of us. It's, it's amazing. It's also been a really awesome thing because to ask God to save someone is to ask for something supernatural. I mean, like when we were celebrating baptisms, the reason we celebrate that, it's not just because someone made a logical decision about the goodness of God. It's because Jesus supernaturally stepped into the world and redeemed and rescued people. Like that should never be... Uh, old hat for us as the church. It should always stun us at how amazing the grace of God is. I mean, as we, in baptism, bury them under the water, celebrating that Christ mysteriously took us within himself and carried our sin and death to the grave and buried it there. And when he was raised, he raised us up, putting the old in the grave and raising us up to new life. 
pouring his spirit out upon us, cleansing us and liberating us to be a kingdom people. This should never be old hat. This should never be anything less than a miraculous thing. Man, this is incredible stuff. Uh, and I think as we pray, we have to keep in mind that what we are asking God to do is indeed a supernatural thing. This is where Paul, when he says, pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. I remember the first time I read this and I realized that Paul was talking about what God had to do in the equation of witnessing. I grew up in the church thinking witnessing was just something I was like, it was the task given to me. And so it was the thing where God's like, I want you to be a witness. I'm like, all right, so it's my job to go out and be a witness. But I love that Paul's like, I want you to pray that God would open a door, that God, in the way that Paul was seeing the world, that God was not passively handing the job of evangelism off to his church, but he was an active participant in what he was doing in the world, which is a big shift for us when we, if we don't think about evangelism well, it becomes this burdensome thing where the supernatural work of seeing people saved is placed on people like us. And that seems like a lot, right? I can't save anyone. Couldn't even save myself. That's why I've come to Christ. So one of the things I want to highlight as we kind of move forward this morning is that you are never the first person on the scene. On the scene of your life, you are never the first person on mission in that space. In the big picture, this is a statement about the very nature of God. And if you think about the story, the big story of from creation to new creation, it all started with God's initiative. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit needing nothing and yet out of the holy love of God speaks the entire cosmos into existence. Like speaks it all to life. Not because God needed anything, but because God is love and love extends and makes room, God creates everything. And when sin and death enter the picture, it is God who is the one who takes the steps to bring humanity and creation back to himself. The entire story of scripture is a story of God being a missionary to the world that he created. That even in our rebellion, in our sin, he did not leave us to what we deserve but that God himself was the first missionary. to He is the one who steps out to bring us to himself. So even in the story from Abraham to Israel and Israel to its Messiah and Jesus and through Jesus to all of the world, the story of salvation is the story of God's agency, of God's actions to redeem the world to himself. That means that we as the body of Christ, when we Join Jesus when we are saved. We say this a lot in our church. We're not just saved into the family, but we're saved into the family business. That God is a missionary, and so we as his body become a missionary people. We become a people who are already sent, just like Jesus. We join into what God is doing in the world. And that means anywhere you go, if you think of somebody, if they were leaving here and going to Haiti, showing up in a village, they're not showing up as the first missionary there because God created Haiti and loved Haiti and made a way for Haiti. So God is already present doing things there. It would be the same in India, be the same in any other place, but it's also the same in your house and in your neighborhood and your workplace and your school, wherever you find yourself, you're never the first person on the scene. 
You're not the one that God sends into some dark place that's never heard the gospel before. You're the one who God is already ahead of it. He's already made a way through Jesus to say, you know what? I love the world and I want to reconcile the world to myself. And so I've made a way in Jesus. My spirit has been poured out and I want you to join me in the places where I already am. I love this. When you read through the gospels of John, Uh, as we did during Lent, you hear Jesus over and over talking about, he's never talking about being the first one. He's talking about the love of God that causes him to send the son. The way that the son is at work is always in play with what God is already doing. Like he says in John 6, he says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. Which is incredible because that says basically your arguments And conversations about Jesus are not what save people. It is the work of God ahead of you that nobody can come unless the Father is drawing them, which is amazing because it says that God's already at work. If someone's moving towards Jesus, that means Jesus is already doing something. If you as a witness become a part of that story, it's not your job to save them because Jesus is already at work. It's like if you are a a space fan and you think about any movie where someone gets caught in a tractor beam and they're brought to the mothership or whatever, like Jesus's spirit and his provenient grace is already drawing people to himself. He's already at work in our world. He's already in these places. And when we're invited in, we're not invited in to do a work that's never been done. We're there to join in the work that God is already doing. Later, when he talks about the Spirit, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit poured out upon the church for the sake of witness. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. That when the Spirit is poured out, it empowers us to become witnesses, but we join in the witness of God's Spirit who's at work in the world. When Jesus is telling his disciples about the Spirit, he says, I tell you the truth. It's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he says, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. Again, one of the uh, ways that people often repel against the idea of being evangelists in the world it's basically in some of the ways that it was modeled for us. I grew up in a church where it seemed like if you were going to be evangelist, the first job that you had was to convince people how evil they were. Which is like, who wants to have that conversation with anyone? Hey, brother, I love you. So let me tell you how broken and evil you are. Which is like, it's not how the gospel leads. It's also not like, and I'm not saying there's not a place for conversations about sin. There, there is and there has to be. We're not making light of sin. But to know that the primary job of the church is not to make sure people know that they're evil, but instead is to announce good news and let the Holy Spirit be the one who brings conviction when it comes to sin and righteousness and judgment. It takes the weight off of me to reveal someone's brokenness and allows the Holy Spirit to do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do anyway. We become participants in God's mission, but not the source of these things. Chris Wright put it this way. It's not so much... The case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission. That God's not giving you something to do. He's invited you into what he has always been doing. As the body of Christ 
we join him and we join in his work in the world. And the good news is that he is already at work doing what only he can. So it kind of brings you back to the question, well, what's God's to do in evangelism and what's mine to do? Like if God is an act, active agent, then what's his work and what's my work? And that's an important thing to know. And I, t- I went to this story in John uh, because I think it's a good picture of sometimes how um, we are called to play a role in what God is doing. Uh, and you know, we read the story. Jesus is at this wedding. His mother sets him up to help out, even though he seems a little reluctant. But he tells the servants, he says, fill the jars with water. When the jars have been filled, he says, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. And it says, so the servants followed his instructions. Here's my big question. How much of the miracle are the servants responsible for? How much of the miracle of the water being turned to wine are the servants responsible for? I mean, think about it. It's 100%. It's, it's all them, right? They filled the jars. It's on us. 80%? Is it 80-20? Is it 50-50? I think most of us, if we sit there, we're like, they, didn't, they filled jars, but they didn't do the miracle. They just, they just filled the jars, right? It was 100% Jesus, and yet they had a role to play in it. See, sometimes we think about evangelism like it is 80, 90% us, that we're gonna have these conversations and these miraculous opportunities, and then Jesus is gonna sneak in on the last like 5% and close the deal. Salvation is his from first to last. It's all him. It's 100% Jesus. I want that to be good news to you if you're a person who when you think about opening your mouth and talking to somebody about anything spiritual, you feel more angst than joy. I want you to hear, it is God's job to save. In this situation, the servants are not responsible for any of the miracle that happens. And yet, they had something to do in it. If you think about this in the context of being a witness, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. When he says working together with him, it's the same picture of the servants in the miracle at the wedding. That Jesus came to the servants and he told them what to do. He gave them clear instruction for them to act. We join Jesus in reconciling the world to himself by making the most of the opportunities we are given. Or to put this a little bit more simply, Jesus does the miracles and you fill the jars. Jesus does the miracles. He does the saving. He does the eye-opening, heart-convicting, transforming work. And we, as his servants and his witnesses, just do what he says. Like it's the brilliant thing that Mary says, she looks at the servants, she says, do whatever he says. Like what if it's that simple? What if making the most of the opportunities that God is giving you is as simple as just doing what he says? One of my uh, 
One of the guys who discipled me used to always say, the only thing that God can't use is nothing. That when we are given an opportunity and God asks us to act, we just act. And I've seen God use my bumbling idiocy of words to do incredible things. You know why? Because the miracle doesn't depend on me. Like someone, the lights going off, the heart being unveiled, the strongholds falling, the, the, the conviction coming, whatever it is that you're praying would happen in someone's life, it is not on you to make it happen. It is simply you are invited by the Holy Spirit into an opportunity. And this is why Paul said, make the most of them. Make the most of them. Be watchful and thankful. I think about this story and I think sometimes about the servants um, and the fact that someone they didn't know walked up and says, do whatever this guy says. And then that guy walks up, he's like, fill up these big jars. And how weird it kind of would have been. I could think about these guys like, hey dude, I'm on my 15. <laughs> what, what do you mean fill up these jars? It's a really interesting thing that Jesus walks up and gives them instruction and they just do it. Because it was probably an interruption into whatever else they were doing there at the party. Um, I think interruption is probably the biggest obstacle sometimes to us making the most of the opportunities we have. We have to ask ourselves in some ways, are we willing to be interrupted? Uh, because I grew, up, I grew up in the era where Nintendo had just come out. And so like the original Super Mario Brothers, it's still my jam, I love playing it. But I love playing it because it's predictable. Like all of the, like when you start off and you know the little Goomba and the, the, the Koopa Trooper and all, the, all like you know exactly what they're gonna do. This guy's gonna be walking. This guy's gonna be on top of this block of things just walking back and forth. They're all in loops that make things really predictable. And so it becomes a fun game in some ways because you build your strategy because you know what's coming. I think that there are times where we can live our lives in the same way, where we can build our lives into loops. My wife jokingly is saying I'm becoming more of a curmudgeon as I get older because like I kind of like things the way they are. And when interruption comes, I get grumpy. I had a plan for the day and then this comes up and I'm like, mm, there was a plan. It probably wasn't even a good plan, but there was a plan. I have my loops that I get. I think all of us have this way. We have routines and routine gives us structure, it gives us safety. Routine is not necessarily bad. In some ways, it actually enables things to happen. But the whole nature of the good news is there was a timeline where sin and death and the powers of this world were winning and then Christ came and he died and he rose and a new victory has been one that completely changes the future that we're headed into. It is a disruption of what has been. It's being like all of history has been interrupted because the kingdom of God is at hand. And I think one of the things most of us, if you're in Jesus, you experienced what it was like when Jesus joyfully interrupted your life. He met you where you were and there was like a holy disruption that set you from one trajectory into another because his spirit showed up and he saved you. He rescued you, he redeemed you. If you've not experienced that, you can. That's the invitation of Jesus to everyone who comes to him. But then he invites us into a life where he is interrupting people and stuff. Like the kingdom breaking into our cities, our schools, it will disrupt the way things are. It just will. And it will disrupt us. 
Like if you're saying, I want to make the most of my opportunities, you're basically saying, God, if you open a door, I'm willing to get out of my loop, out of my, out of my routine to join you in what you're doing. Which in some ways, we have this, this image that we've used about the lordship of Jesus. The whole idea comes from Revelation 3 about Jesus knocking on a door. He's knocking on a door, asking to come in. And doorways are always opportunities. And to the church, there can be all sorts of things that kind of stand in the way. Um, there can be money or time or motives or ambitions. or There's all sorts of things that we have to deal with to settle the fact that Jesus is the Lord. But honestly, when it comes to being a witness, the thing we have to settle is that I am willing to be interrupted in order to see the kingdom break into my world. It's, it's not enough for me to want their world to be messed up. I, I want Jesus to save them, but I don't want my patterns to change. Like, I want to do what I'm doing, but Jesus go like, do whatever you want. You're the Lord. Do your thing. He is literally interrupting us to join him in what he's doing. That's what the kingdom of God is up to. God loves your neighbors, loves your family, loves your coworkers, loves your school he loves the people he's put around you enough to disrupt their life, but he's gonna disrupt you for their sake. He's gonna say, hey, I want you to pray. I want you to talk to them. I want you to invite them to lunch. I want you to answer that text. I want you to make room. I want you to, to shift your schedule for the possibility of joining me in what I'm doing. I want you to fill a jar. I'm not asking you to save the world. I'm not asking you to argue them into my presence. I will take care of my part. Will you fill that jar for me? Will you do the one thing I'm asking you to do? And we have to settle it in our hearts that we're not only willing to say, hey, God, I want the people around me to know you, but also like I am willing to be disrupted, to be knocked out of my loop, to have my routines messed up, my schedule messed up, my time messed up, to have people in my house I'd, I've never had in my house before because my house is my, my refuge, but instead I want to open it up and allow my world to become a place where Jesus can encounter the people around me, where the disruption they need because the kingdom of God needs to break into their world can happen because I'm willing to join Jesus in disrupting their world. To, I'm willing to say, God, mess up my life a little bit for the sake of the world. And that's something that Paul, who's writing from prison, is telling that he's like, be wise, make the most of your opportunities. Let your conversation be seasoned with all. He's saying these things because he knows if God opens a door, we're gonna have to be willing to step out of our loop of routine and into the door that has been opened to us. And I love the stories I'm hearing from our church. And I've been praying and you might not like this, and I don't care. I've been praying that God would disrupt your world. I've been praying that God would open doors for you, not so gently. Because there's people around you that God loves and wants to bring to himself. And sometimes we can be so ingrained in our loops that we just miss it. We just miss it. I heard once that the difference between a rut and a grave is just the depth. <laughs> Sometimes we can be so deep in our ruts that we're actually cut off from the one thing that God's put us in the world to be a part of. That you're not just family. You're in the family business and Jesus is ahead of you, redeeming and rescuing the world. And he's not asking you to save the world. He's asking you to fill jars, to be willing 
to open your mouth and engage people that he loves. And he says, you're not gonna be alone in that. You have the spirit of God. Spirit will give you, he's gonna bring you what you need to know. And honestly, you can't mess it up. Like how are you gonna lead someone to Jesus the wrong way, really? The only thing he can't use is nothing. I'm gonna invite our band to come up. We're gonna respond and we'll come to the table together. But I, I wanna put these three statements on the screen as we close. Welcome the interruption of the spirit. I think that's one of the challenges for us if we're gonna be a church that is good news beyond our doors is that we have to welcome God to interrupt our lives. And that means break in some of our loops because some of your loops probably keep you sane and safe and growing and healthy. And some of them might be the, the, the few things that are actually keeping you out and away from the people that God's placed you among. And we have to be willing to say, God, if it's good, leave it. But if you want to open a door, if you want to interrupt my life for the sake of the world, come Lord Jesus. Second thing is, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Maybe that's just a simple prayer. You're like, I'm willing to be interrupted, but I don't know if when that happens, if I'm gonna have what it takes. And he's like, well, you have me. So be filled with me. Welcome the, the interruption, but also welcome me. This is really something we're gonna get more practical with next week. I'm really excited to talk about how we pray for the people around us and what it means for us to be ready and make the most of these opportunities in a really practical way. And the last thing is just join the spirit and witness. In some ways, be willing to say, like, what's, what's it mean for me to fill a jar right now? What's it mean for me? Like, what's the thing you're asking of me? Because he's not asking you to save the world. But he probably is asking something. And for us to say, tell me. Like, cue me in and let's go. I'll be interrupted. Fill me with your spirit and just give me a clue of where to start. I guarantee you, God can use whatever you bring to the table, no matter how you disqualify it or think it's not enough. If you're like, I don't know enough Bible, I'm too new to this, blah, whatever. No excuse. If you're willing to bring something and just say, yes, God will take it, can do the things that you can't because it's 100% him. So if you're here and you want prayer, if you're like, hey, I'm willing, can, can someone pray for me? Well, first, there's probably people around you that you know who would be willing to pray with you. But I'm also here, I'd love to pray with you. I know Wanda's down here, Christie's also down here. Uh, we'd love to pray if you, if you need it. You can come down to the altar. We'd love to pray with you as we respond in song. And then we'll come to the table together. Uh, but remember the good news. Like God has interrupted sin and death's reign to bring in a new kingdom. And you're not just a part of that. You are an extension of that. You are witnesses in the world. He's with you and he's in front of you. And he'll give you the clue. Welcome him to interrupt your life. Let's pray. Jesus, we um, thank you that you're the God who loves us enough to interrupt us. That you, we didn't know we needed you until you showed up. And you showed up. And you didn't show up with empty words. You showed up with power and promise and victory and cleansing and liberty. You gave us a name and a hope and a future. Oh God, how, how great is this news? And Lord, our world needs it. Lord, we just pray 
in this moment that you would just make it clear. Holy Spirit, what's it mean for us to just fill jars in our world? What's it mean for us to be interrupted and to say, Lord, I'm willing. Is there anything keeping me from just saying yes to your spirit? Reveal that in this space. We welcome you. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.